Father, thank you uh, for the great privilege to come together and sing your praise, uh, to join our voices. Uh, Lord, this is what we were made for. We were made for worship. Uh, You are infinitely admirable and beautiful and awesome. And you and your incredible grace have spoken. And so we come now to your word and we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to receive from you what you want to give us today. Soften our hearts and open our ears and do your good work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're wrapping up, concluding our series from the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and we finish up with the last message to the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. Jesus, in these chapters, spoke seven messages to seven churches, but with this one, just like with all the others, Jesus is not speaking to that church alone. He is speaking to anyone, anyone who has ears to hear. So let's get right to it, Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse 14. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to Revelation 3.14. If you don't have one, you want to grab the one in front of you there in the seat rack, you can use that. And if you don't own a Bible, you're free to take that home. We'd love to give that to you. So Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. And the Lord speaks. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So things are not good at Laodicea, and what makes it worse is the church doesn't seem to realize it. They think that everything's just fine, (laughs) which just goes to show you that what 
people think about something and what God thinks about something can be very different. And if we're not listening to him, if we don't have ears to hear, then we can find ourselves being dangerously deluded, completely out of touch with the way things really are. So what's the problem with the church? Well, Jesus describes them as lukewarm. And I want to think about that with you for a few minutes because lukewarmness may not mean what you may think. Jesus here is talking about a universal human experience, which is that we don't like lukewarm drinks, right? You go to Starbucks and you order something, you want it either hot or cold. I know for me, if it's a you know, sunny, warm day, I go in and I order a drink, I want it iced. And the colder, the better. I even have to kind of pull the straw up so that the bottom's up in the ice zone so that it's really cold when I drink it. But if it's cold and cloudy and I'm wanting comfort, I order it not just hot, extra hot, extra hot. In Starbucks lingo, it's a decaf tall, extra hot mocha. And if they ask me about whipped cream, I say sure, because we're talking comfort here. (laughs) But extra hot is the main thing. Why? Because I am a very slow mocha drinker. And I want that baby to stay hot until I get to the very bottom of the cup. So I like it really hot, or I like it really cold. And I don't think I'm alone, because every time I've looked at the menu, they've got cold drinks, they've got hot drinks, they don't have lukewarm drinks. I'm sure you could special order one if you want, but that's not their normal thing. We don't like lukewarm. Lukewarm is gross. That's what Jesus is saying to this church. He's telling this church, They're gross. He wants them to be hot or cold, but they're not. Now let's think about this. What does that mean, hot or cold? It does not mean he wants them to be either totally for him or completely against him. That's not what hot or cold means here, I don't believe. Either, you know, total commitment or total opposition. I think hot and cold both mean the same thing. They both mean delightful. In other words, a church that is hot or cold is a church that Jesus enjoys, just like we enjoy hot or cold drinks. Cold is a drink that's refreshing. And Jesus wants his churches to be refreshing, refreshing with grace, refreshing with love. Hot is a drink that is soothing, comforting, and Jesus wants his churches to be that too, to be a place where we can come and soothe and comfort and encourage one another. So... Cold is a drink that's refreshing. Hot is a drink that's soothing. Lukewarm is a drink that's disgusting. (laughs) Useless. Nobody wants it. 
So Jesus is not saying here, I wish, you know, I would rather have you guys hate me than be half-hearted toward me. He's not saying that. He's saying, I wish you were like a good drink that I enjoyed, either refreshing or soothing, but you're lukewarm and I want to spit you out of my mouth. So let's don't hear this and think, well, you know, I'm reading this and Jesus is saying, I want you either hot or cold. So unless I'm 100% committed to Jesus 100% of the time, then he would rather have me just chuck the whole Christianity thing and become an atheist. That's not what he's saying. Yes, Jesus wants us to be 100% committed to him 100% of the time, but think about it. Until we're 100% sinless, nobody's there yet. Nobody's there yet. Jesus doesn't want us to chuck our faith. He wants to perfect our faith, to grow our faith, to strengthen our faith. Look at Hebrews 12 too. It says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Faith is something that's got to grow to become what it needs to be. I'm not making excuses for half-hearted commitment. Half-hearted commitment is lame. But Jesus is not telling us that we need, you know, if our faith isn't all it should be, we should just get lost. So what is he telling us? He's telling us he wants to delight in us. There's a thought. Think about that. He wants to delight in his people and not be disgusted by them. Which then raises the question, what does he find disgusting? Well, we don't have to guess. He spells it out very clearly in verse 17. And if you have a New International Version Bible with you, that's the version that I read out of, um, I would recommend that you take your pencil or your pen and at the beginning of verse 17, write the word because... Because some versions have it, some don't, but it's in the original, and I think it really ought to be here. So if you back up to verse 16, this is what Jesus says. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth because you say, and then he quotes what they say. And what they say is something about themselves. It's what they believe about themselves that Jesus finds disgusting. It's not a half-hearted commitment to the gospel. Yes, that's a problem. But that's not what's grossing out the Lord here. What's grossing them out, it's their opinion of themselves that he finds so sickening. And what is that opinion? I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I have need of nothing. Self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is what Jesus finds disgusting. To think, I'm all I need. It's very interesting. The, the Roman historian Tacitus gives us a bit of interesting history here about the city of Laodicea. In A.D. 60, which would have been about 25, 30 years before John wrote the book of Revelation, 
In AD 60, there was a, a massive earthquake in the region. And Laodicea, like many of the other towns, was severely damaged by this earthquake. But unlike the other towns, Laodicea rebuilt their city. The people rebuilt their city without any help from the Roman government. And Tacitus writes, representing Rome, he says, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of their own resources and with no help from us. See, the people of this city were wealthy and they were proud of it. They didn't need help from anybody. Now, that's a fine attitude to have toward the government. But when you take that attitude and you apply it to God, and you think that about God, it's not fine. It's gross. It's gross. Because everyone needs God. Everyone needs God. No matter how wealthy, no matter how strong, no matter how independent we are or think we are, Everybody needs God. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why? Because sinners can't save themselves. Sinners need a Savior. And the Bible's very clear that everybody's a sinner. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So see, everybody needs what Jesus alone can do to save them, to rescue them. Everybody needs Jesus Christ. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. That's why Galatians 2.20 says, oh, getting ahead of myself, and we need Jesus not just to be saved from hell, that's critical, but that's not all we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from a life without meaning, a life without purpose, a life of just making foolish mistake after foolish mistake because we're not listening to God and we don't think we need God. We need to be saved from a life that has no value in God's eyes. And this is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, look at it, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but... Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the body, this is critical, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So see, the only way to really live as far as God is concerned, the only way to really live is by faith in the Son of God, by faith in Jesus, trusting him, relying on him, listening to him obeying him, depending on him. But now these people, these Laodiceans, Christians, they were living as if they didn't need him because they were rich. They had money. So what would they need to depend on Jesus for? They had nice houses. They had nice clothes. They had plenty of food, they had good health insurance, probably had a good pension plan, plenty of money in the bank. When you've got all that, 
What do you need to rely on Jesus for? Who needs Jesus when you've got all that? Now, they probably wouldn't have said it, but that's how they lived. That's how they lived. And Jesus looks at that and says, that makes me sick. Because there is only one being in the entire universe who doesn't need anything from God, and that's God. That's it. All the rest of us need everything from God. Acts 17.25, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. See, that's God. God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need anything. But we, on the other hand, God himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So you ask yourself, do you need life? Well, you need God. You need breath? You need God. You need anything besides life and breath? You need God. So to think, to act like you don't need God, you realize what that is? That's basically saying, I am God. I am God. I meet all my own needs. That's gross. That's really gross. And the the scary thing about this is we live in a culture just like Laodicea. Most of us, by world standards, most of us are rich. You may not feel rich, but most of us are because we have more than we need. We have more than we need. We can go to Starbucks, most of us, if we want to. And that's not a need. So if that's what our culture's like, and if, if we're, most of us, wealthy, how do we not end up like the Laodiceans with this sickening attitude of thinking we're self-sufficient? How do we not get there? Well, the answer is we have to live like we need Jesus. We have to live that way. We have to live like we need Jesus. So let's look at how to do that. How to live like you need Jesus. Because I see a couple of lessons here in what he tells the Laodiceans. And I'm sure this is not everything you could say about the topic. But this gets at the very heart of it. Living like you need Jesus. First, you've got to believe everything he says about you. Believe everything he says about you. Or to say it another way, go to him to get your true condition diagnosed and believe what he tells you. Believe everything he says about you. He knows what your problem is. You know, you probably know you have a problem. Everybody who knows you knows you have a problem. They might even ask you, what's your problem? You've got a problem. Who knows what it is? Who really knows? Who can really tell you? Jesus knows. 
He knows your problem. Look at verse 14. These are the words of the Amen. It's a very interesting phrase. It comes from the book of Isaiah, where God calls himself the Amen. It means truth. These are the words of the truth, the faithful and true witness. Everything he says is true. Everything he says is faithful. Everything he says is right. When Jesus tells you what your problem is, he's always right. He's always right. Check out his diagnosis of the Laodiceans. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. And you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. Talk about being deluded. I mean, these people are like, you know, the emperor and the emperor's new clothes. Remember that old story? These con artists convinced the emperor to go strutting down the street wearing nothing but his birthday suit. And he, he, he thinks he's wearing all these extravagant, beautiful, exquisite clothes until some kid goes, hey, that guy's naked. Well, that's what Jesus is doing for these people. What they thought about themselves wasn't real. It was not real. That's what happens to us when we don't listen to God. We think things about ourselves that are not true. And what we tend to do is we tend to go in one of two directions, go one of two extremes. We tell ourselves that we're awesome when we're not, or we tell ourselves that we have absolutely no worth when we do. But God's word always tells us the truth about ourselves. It's always right. No matter what anybody else tells you, no matter what anybody else has you know, convinced you, no matter what you think, no matter what anybody thinks, here are two things about you that are always true. Guaranteed. They're true because Jesus says so. They're true of the Laodiceans. They're true of all of us. First thing that's always true about you is you are desperately needy. You are desperately needy. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, Jesus says. It's not an insult. You know, Jesus isn't saying, oh yeah, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and so is your mama. He's not, <laughs> he's not putting them down. It's not an insult. He's trying to help them. It's like a good doctor here. He tells you the diagnosis not to insult you. You know, if the doctor does the tests and says, hey, you've got diabetes, he or she's not telling you that, you know, to make you feel bad or to insult you, but so that you can take the steps you need to take to get healthy. And the point of these words is to help them see you are not the self-sufficient God's you think you are. I mean, you think that because you have money and you have nice clothes and you have designer glasses, you think because of that you're fine? You are not fine. You're not fine without me. I remember in the 70s, there was this popular book that came out. Some of you will remember this. I'm okay, you're okay. Do you remember that? I'm okay, you're okay. The message is, hey, just be okay with who you are because, you know, you're okay. It's pretty profound, isn't it? 
Jesus didn't write that book. His book says, without me, you're not okay. You're not okay. Without me, you're lost. Without me, you think things that aren't true. Without me, you make a mess of your life and your eternity. You think you don't need anybody, but that's not true. You need me. You are desperately needy. Okay, but that's not the whole story about you. The other thing that's always true about you is that you are deeply loved. Deeply loved. Verse 19 blows my mind here. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Who's that talking about? Who's he talking about there? He's talking about them. He's talking about these gross, lukewarm, deluded, self-sufficient, act like they don't need Jesus, Laodiceans. He loves them. He's saying, your attitude makes me sick but I really love you. That's that's mind-boggling to me. And if that weren't enough, then we have what he says in verse 20. Here I am. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. What grace. Now, you may have heard this verse used in a situation as an encouragement to non-Christians to invite Jesus into their life, to receive him so that he might forgive their sins, and give them eternal life, as he promised to do. And if that's you today, that's your situation, you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to to forgive your sin, make you right with God, be your Lord, call the shots in your life. And if this verse motivates you to do that, great, absolutely. Jesus responds when those who don't know him invite them in in genuine faith. But really, here, Jesus is not, this is not an address primarily to people who don't know him yet. He's knocking at the door of the church, where the church is meeting, wherever that is. He's knocking. You know, and inside, these people got their self-sufficiency thing going on. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, I'm okay. You're okay, too. We're all good. And the pathetic thing is, Jesus isn't there. He's not even in the room. He's knocking on the door. In spite of their deluded self-sufficiency, Jesus wants them to experience relationship with him. Eating together, that's what that pictures, especially in the culture in which this was written. Eating together means 
sharing life together, sharing intimate friendship, sharing close relationship. Can you believe Jesus wanted that with them? Can you believe he wants that with you and with me? Because he does. In spite of how messed up we are, he wants that. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, you are desperately needy and you are deeply deeply loved that's what jesus says about you and the question is do you believe him because if you're going to live like you need him you have to believe what he says about you everything he says here's the other lesson believe everything he says about you and then receive everything you need from him receive everything you need from him verse 18 i counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see we've got to get this we've got to get this because there's a lot of confusion in the world about what it really means to be a Christian, to live the Christian life. A relationship with Jesus is all about receiving. Receiving, receiving, receiving. It's not all about performing. Performing, performing, performing. Now don't misunderstand the Christian life, a relationship with Christ, involves doing. There's a lot of doing. A lot of things he wants us to do. But even our doing must be a receiving. Because performing means I'm performing in order to gain his approval. That's not what it is. Here's his approval. We receive it. He gives it as a gift. And then he gives us all the resources we need to do all the doing he wants us to do. It's always receiving. So it's realizing we've got nothing without him and we can do nothing meeting God's approval without him. And so we realize he loves us enough to give us everything we need. So we ask him and we trust him to provide it. Receiving, receiving. God is always the giver. We are always the receiver. Even when we give, you know, when I first came in here this morning, I stuck my offering check back in the box back there. And, you know, you think, oh, I'm the giver. Not really. I'm the channel. God's the giver. God gives us everything. And here's the thing. Everything God gives us comes through Jesus Christ. Everything. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. This is one place where this is explained. There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. See that? 
So everything we have, everything we need comes through Jesus. So he's the one we get it from. Don't miss the words there in verse 18. From me. See those two words? I counsel you to buy from me. From Jesus and no one else. Not from you, not from yourself, not from your parents, not from your friends, but from Jesus. Oh, sure. He uses all kinds of means to channel what we need. So, so what he gives us comes through a variety of channels, but it ultimately always comes from him. It's like when the UPS guy you know, comes to your door. I've had the privilege over the years of getting many packages, especially when we first moved up and my parents and my wife's parents were like, oh, you live so far away. So they sent us these care packages. It was really cool. And the UPS guy would come and he'd bring this big box. And I never once said, man, that is so nice of you. Yeah, you shouldn't have. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Mr. UPS man. Why not? Because didn't, he didn't give it. He brought it. I appreciate it. And I, you know, I'm grateful for it. And I probably said thank you, but not in the same sense of him being the source. And that's how it is with everything. God uses all kinds of channels. He channels his gifts to us in so many ways. But ultimately, they're from him. He's the source. He's the giver. We're the receiver. So when you realize that, then you ask him for what you need. When you realize that, you trust him for what you need. When you realize that, you express gratitude ultimately to him. Thank the channel too. I'm not saying don't do that. Somebody does something nice for you, great. Please appreciate them. But then ultimately the gratitude goes to the Lord. It's receiving. Okay, now somebody's going to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says right here, this verse tells us to buy things from Jesus. So that means somehow we have to earn them, we have to pay for them, right? No, that's not what it means. This is the same kind of buying that we have in Isaiah 55.1. Look at it. Come, the Lord says. Come, all you who are thirsty, all you who are needy. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. See, buying without money, buying without cost, that's what it's talking about here. It's just a way of saying, go get it. Go get it. Go to him and receive it. You don't pay for it because it's already paid for. You couldn't afford what you need from Jesus anyway. None of us could. Okay, well, what? What do we need? Well, there are three things he talks about here. He offers gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Oh, wait, what does that mean? Well, think about it. These people had money. They had all kinds of material wealth. He's not talking about that. They had wealth, but they didn't have the kind of wealth that brings eternal satisfaction. See, the problem with earthly wealth, you know what it is? You always want more. It's never enough. Only Jesus can give us the wealth that truly satisfies forever. So we get that from him. He also offers white clothes to wear so your shame can be covered. Well, once again, these people had clothes. In fact, Laodicea was famous as a place of textile industry. They had lots of nice clothes. Yeah, but the clothes they wore only covered their bodies. That's good. But that's not enough. 
That doesn't meet our deepest need, which is to cover our shame. What are you ashamed of? What are you so ashamed of that you couldn't bring yourself to tell another person about it? Jesus will cover it. He will cover it with his complete and eternal forgiveness. You never have to be a prisoner of your past when you give your shame to Jesus. Give it to him. He will cover it. And you know what? Then you can talk about it. You don't have to be embarrassed anymore because he's covered it. And then Jesus offers ISAV, so you can see. This is really kind of funny, because Laodicea was especially famous for its ISAV. It's like they had a big pharmaceutical company there in, in town, and they made this ISAV, which was famous, you know. So they had ISAV. But even with the best possible eye care, even with that, they could only see the way things appeared on the outside. Physical sight is good. It's a wonderful, awesome gift. But Jesus here is talking about a sight that goes much deeper. A sight that helps us perceive the real meaning of things. A sight that helps us see the true value of things. Only Jesus can give us that. He gives. We receive. And it's not about earning them. It's not about deserving them. It's not about achieving them. I mean, think about it. What does he tell these people to do? What does he tell them to do? He says, be earnest and repent. Okay, that means change your mind. Stop with this self-sufficiency garbage. That's disgusting. Change your mind. Be earnest and repent. And do what? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Just open the door. Open the door. Say, sorry, Jesus. I didn't hear you knocking. I wasn't paying attention. I've been acting like I don't need you. But I really do. I really do. I want to eat with you. I want to receive everything you want to give me. Will you bow with me and let's pray about it? And I just want to remind you that the one who said this will hear you He's still alive. He is the ruler of all creation. And he wants to meet your needs. And if you've been playing the game of self-sufficiency, if you've been acting like your God, give it up. Repent. 
Tell him you need him. Believe what he says about you. You are desperately needy and you are deeply loved. And open the door. If it's for the very first time of saying, Jesus, I've never received your forgiveness, but I want it. You can do that today. If it's, hey, I've been living this deluded life. I've, I've put my trust in Christ, but I've lived like I don't need him. Well, open the door and say, Lord, I need you. Whatever you need to talk to him about, or maybe it's just to say thank you. Thank you for all your gifts. Thank you that it's about receiving. It's not about performing because I can't perform. But I want to receive. Whatever it is, just you talk to him, and I will too. Well, close us in a minute. Lord Jesus, your grace is staggering. In my heart, I, I can't believe that you went to such trouble to tell these people that you love them. You could have just left them alone and let them just destroy themselves in their delusion. But you didn't. You cared enough. You loved enough to speak. Father, your love is, is just amazing. And I pray you would rescue us from our, our delusional thoughts about ourselves, whether they're too good or too bad. Help us believe the truth that you speak and help us live life as a receiving all that you have through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.